How to Go Through Fear is a tireless message, and as we talked about last week, we started a new series, of Faith, the Key to Survival. We're in Hebrews, but I'm going to take a little <laughs> different direction this morning in this one message, because I, I was praying about this, and I was really, really thought about this. Fear is one of the major enemies of faith. It keeps us from taking that step and going where do we need to be with Christ to allow him to govern and rule our lives as we're obedient. A lot of us go back to our childhood, the way we were raised and some of the effect that it had upon us. What? What was your biggest fear as a child? For me, it was the dark I'm not talking about a little afraid. I'm talking about a paralyzing, traumatizing kind of fear. About the second week, third week in November, I was woke up as an eight-year-old. My mother was running through the house screaming, holding her stomach. And in a few days, she left. And in a few days, my dad came back and put me on his lap and said, God's taken your mother. It plunged me into a... I think that was maybe the start of fear. But then what happened over the next few months, we moved from the country into town and we lived in an apartment, my dad and I and my sister, and my dad slept with me. Man, can you, maybe that happened to you. I don't, I don't know your experience, but the security of being an eight-year-old and having your dad in bed with you and no self-respect and boogeyman would ever bother an eight-year-old kid when he's in bed with his dad. Eight months after that, my father remarried and bought an old two-story house, and I had to sleep, sleep upstairs. And that's when, uh, that's, that's when I think the, the trauma of that became real in my life. I slept with a light on, and I would say every five to ten minutes, Good night, Dad! He'd say, Good night, Eddie, over and over. He he never got angry. I, I always appreciated that about him. I would have appreciated it more if he'd have kicked my stepmom out of bed and put me there, but it didn't happen. <laughs> this is a crazy thing, what you remember as a child, how it comes with you. You know, we, we try to leave that past behind, but it, it comes with you. And there were some nights that it got so bad for me that I'd take a blanket and a pillow and sleep on the steps, at the bottom of the steps, or... Wait till they went to sleep, and I'd go in and sleep on the front of the oil stove. We had an oil stove at that time. But fear's real, and the fears of childhood sometimes follow us into adulthood. In an animated movie, Inside Out, about emotions, we're introduced to fear kind of in a, in a funny way. Let's, let's watch this. Fortunately, when we outgrow our childhood, the fears like monsters and under a bed and ghosts in our closets kind of go away. But we do not outgrow fear itself. The same fears that haunted us as children on the inside are on the inside of us as adults. The monsters and the goblins have simply changed shapes to become visible to the adult eye. 
the specters that loom in front of us now come in the form of potential financial disasters, the fear of losing our job, rebellious children, losing our marriage partners. That fear is just as real and as scary. And now in this world in which we live, with the virus and the pandemic, which we now know is real, and we have lived it, and we are still living it. Fear is one of the major enemies of faith, it's, and it must be conquered. As we grow in Christ, as we reach maturity, there, there comes a time where we have to conquer our fears so our faith will mature and get where it needs to be in Christ to trust Him. I think fear is a lack of trust, and I think it enters into our spiritual lives as well. Fears and phobias are one of the most prevalent forms of mental anxiety disorders that affect people of all ages and interfere with so many daily lives. Many take benzodiazepines to cope. Xanax, Ativan, Valium, and I'm sure the doctors here would tell me there's more than others that people have to have it to survive to get along, to get out of bed, to go through their daily functions. Here are 10 of the most common fears and phobias. Number 10, fear of getting old. Nine, fear of being poisoned. Eight, fear of being a coward. Seven, germophobia, fear of bacteria or microorganisms. Number six, fear of going crazy. I don't fear that anymore. I'm there. Number five, fear of intimacy. Four, Fear of spiders, rats, cockroaches, snakes, airplanes, monsters, demons, and mirrors. Number three, social phobia, including the fear of public speaking. And agoraphobia, the fear of open spaces. Two is the fear of death, and one is the fear of loneliness. I thought that was interesting. I thought death maybe would be first. Maybe it is in some cases, but the fear of being alone. Well, that's another thing of those of us who follow Christ and have him in our heart, we... We should never be lonely because the Holy Spirit resides within us. Fear shrinks our world. It makes it smaller. We hide at home sometimes. We sleep more. We overeat. We make excuses. Anything to avoid the problem that's staring us in the face. We don't want to face it. And so the boundaries of our world shrinks a little more. As Paul Tournier suggests in his book, The Strong and the Weak, all of us have reservoirs of full potential. And I, I've said this since I've been here the last 22 years. As I look out on you, there is a cloud, an aura of potential that hangs over this place that is just amazing. Maybe you don't see it, but I do. Because God has gifted each one of us to be and use that supernatural gift to change the world. He's given us unconditional love and on and on and on. A lot of times we don't see that, but it's there. Tournier says, we all have reservoirs of full potential, vast areas of great satisfaction, but the roads that lead to those reservoirs are guarded by the dragon of fear. So if you find yourself cowering from the dragon of fear, King David knows how you feel. He was crippled by it as well. Yeah, he was the king of Israel. Yeah, he was the young boy that went out into the valley of Elah, pilled up, picked up five smooth stones, and faced that giant, that monster of a giant, Goliath, and killed him and was victorious. So he had faith. It was there 
from an early age. But here we read in Psalm 27 that the fear was there. Even though all he had accomplished and all that he had done, the fear was there. In all honesty, I think we who are in leadership are servants as well, but I, I think there's a time it comes for us to be transparent. Sometimes when a leader is transparent, it makes people uncomfortable. I had a guy tell me that once. He said, man, you as pastor should never be transparent. Because if people find that you have fears, if you have problems, we will, we will lose trust in you. Well, I don't know about that. I've maybe been too transparent over the years, but I, but I have to tell you when I was studying this, and I, I have a fear. You know what my biggest fear is today? Has been for the last pretty much year. I fear that the family that we call Crossroads won't come back. That how we get out of the habit and how easy it is to be home in your jammy pants. We did it for a while when we shut down. I understand that. But I, that's my biggest fear because John Ray read me something he had read or heard that how much, how much we need each other. How much we physically need to see each other as the body of Christ with Christ at the head. That is, that is so important, and I, I don't want us to lose sight of that. But I, I tell you, in all honesty, I, I, I have to give that fear to God. I know that. This is his church. I'm just a servant here. But nonetheless, I just wanted to share that this morning, that I, I have things I struggle with as well. In Psalm 27, David gives us an inside look at how he dealt with fear. How through faith in God that he conquered it. God gives us people in life to, to help us along the way. You know, and I, I mentioned my dad giving me security as a child and as I grew older. Uh, now I have Diana Marie to protect me. <laughs> she is my light and uh, my life. And uh, it's amazing how God sends people in our lives. And I know... Many of you have significant others as well. In most of the Psalms, there's a superscription. An explanatory note uh, that's given after the title. In modern translations of the Bible, and probably all the Bibles that we have and that we read, under Psalm 27, it says the Psalm of David. But in the earliest Greek version, called the Septuagint, the superscription takes the explanation a little farther. It reads this. A psalm of David before he was anointed. David was anointed twice. As a younger man, Samuel anointed him to be king over Israel before he became king. And then after he became king, he was anointed again. The scholars believe that Psalm 27 was written before his second anointing, where he was the object of Saul's hatred and his spear. King Saul hated David. He was jealous of him enough that he tried to kill him on numerous occasions. Psalm 27 can easily be divided into two contrasting sections. Verses 1 through 6, David exudes a confidence, a confidence that comes from keeping his faith trained on God. And then verses 7 through 14, the mood shifts and we begin to hear from David, a David whose faith has been replaced with fear. Isn't it amazing how sometimes God has done tremendous things for us. It's just like he did the children of Israel, and he does it in modern day. 
He blesses us. He answers prayers. But we get in, in, into a fix, so to speak, and we forget that so easily. And I, that's, what, that's, where David, that's where David was at. The first verse gives us the theme which reverberates throughout the psalm. Because the Lord is my light, my salvation, and my defense, I have no fear. That was his declaration. The next junction, David detours from the path of faith to the path of fear. In verses 7 through 14, we find a prayer for strength as David admits his dependence upon God and his weakness. In verse 14, David finally finds his footing as he concludes with a reminder to wait on the Lord. So as we look at David's words, we see the theme by using two similar statements, each followed by questions with obvious answers. That's how David leads us into this in verse 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? So that pretty much answers it, but that, that, that's not where he stops. He, he goes on. The first question uses the common everyday Hebrew word for fear. It simply indicates this. Anxiety or agitation. But in the second question, the word used for dread is pakad, which is a less common Hebrew word that means to be in awe, intimidated, or filled with dread. Then David makes this declaration of trust in verses 2 through 3. When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumble and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. David was intimidated beyond intimidation, exactly, entirely. Saul's whole army was after David. So he felt totally alone. And then verse, part of verse 10 says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me. So he was out there on his own, so to speak. He was cut adrift. So the circumstances in David's life were numerous enough and strong enough to break down the doors of his heart and force him to become a slave to fear. It had a grip on him. But David's defense held fast because he was confident, verse 3. The Hebrew word used for confident here is barak. It doesn't mean self-confident or clever. It means instead to be secure, to have assurance, to know that his feet was planted on the rock, to know that God was always going to be there. He had to go back to that, as you and I do as well. In spite of all the rejection and intimidation, David was able to feel secure because of his faith and his trust in the Lord, verses 4 through 6. It's like he... It, it's, before I read that, it, it's, it's like this mental picture that he had, regardless of the circumstances that was going on around him and the fear of being captured and murdered by the king and all this. In his mind, he took himself to another place. He took, his, he, he took him, himself to the place of God, to the house of God. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Remember, this is Psalm 27. We go back to Psalm 23. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he's in that same vein again. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing yes. I will sing praises to the Lord. 
In these three verses, David portrays fellowship with God is like being in God's house, being in his living room. That's what, that's what I, I feel about the church. I, I feel we are in God's living room this morning. And hopefully you're comfortable. And I hope you hope, you know, I hope you sense God's presence in a mighty way here in that place. David knew that his heart and mind could shelter themselves behind the walls of God's strength and assurance. In an, a rather abrupt change, David's words switch from an expression of what he desires to the expression of his gut-level feelings of fear and desperation. And maybe you've had these same feelings before, or you might be there uh, this morning in this place or out there in the Internet world, wherever you are. Hear, O Lord, verse 7 through 9, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When thou didst say, Seek my face, my heart said to thee, Thy face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide thy face from me. Do not turn thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Do not abandon nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. This is no half-hearted petition. David isn't thinking about other options as he might pursue that in prayer, what he could do, what others could do for him. No, his focus was completely on God. His words possess a boldness and a fervency of one not afraid of trusting absolutely in God. We see that also in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 and Hebrews 4, 16. Psalm 27, 11 through 13. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have despaired. Sometimes we despair. And I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Right now, right here, today. David recognizes that there's nothing he can do to solve the problem with Saul. Some of us face fears and problems, and we have to come to grips that there is nothing we can do about this other person. That's, that's them. That's who they are. There's nothing I can do about these things at work. And I think the list goes on and on. And sometimes we have to get to that point where there's nothing we can do, and we have to turn it over to God. And that's hard for us. We like to be in control. We like to call all the shots. And I've said a thousand times, we like to be the masters of our own destiny. We want to we wanna lay things out in our lives the way they go. But as in David's case, there was nothing he could do with Saul. He had to leave it in God's hands. He had to turn it over to the Lord, as we will, where we find confidence and faith to help face our fears. I don't know if any of you have read Pilgrim Progress by John Bunyan. It's, it's, it's an ancient book in a sense. It's about Christian who is walking the walk of life and trying to get to the celestial city. Here's, here's a clip in this. It's animated. I, I, I like this because it applies to what we're talking about this morning about our fears and how faith pulls us out. Let's watch. We would do well to remember as well. The help in one form or the other is not far away as we cry out to God. 
Interesting thing in that book is that pack on his back when he sins, when he's disobedient, when he lacks faith, it gets bigger until it gets so he just can't hardly carry it. And that's what happens in our lives if we don't give it to God. As with every message, we go into the scripture, we go back years and decades and millennia. And always in the back of our mind, how's this applied to me? So here's our application today out of Psalm 27. As we step out of David's world back into our own. First, as fears occur, we have to admit them. We can't get in the habit of expressing. We have to get in the habit of expressing our specific fears to the Lord and don't be afraid to acknowledge them. We have to admit them. We have to own them. Lord, this is what I'm afraid of. Secondly, as you admit them, you commit them to the best of your ability. You hand your fears over to the Lord as David did, without reservation, without double-checking other options. You just let them go. It's like, I don't know how many times I've said this and how many times as a, uh, in my home church that I came to the altar and left that burden there, left that fear there, left that sin there, and and Tennessee, I start walking away, and then you, you go back and pick it up, and you carry it till the next Sunday. And you don't get rid of it, and it gets on your back, and on and on and on. I can't express to you this morning how important this is, is to commit it to Christ. Thirdly, as you commit them, you've got to release them. You, you don't allow fear to settle down and get comfortable in any room of your heart. Fourth, as you release them, you resist them. That same fear that you had yesterday and today, if you don't do these things, it'll come knocking on your door tomorrow. You've got to care, keep a careful and constant watch on all the doors to your heart. And then fifth, as you resist them, you've got to stand firm. Don't let those fears chase you away from the solid ground of God's protection. Do you realize the power that the Holy Spirit has placed within you? What's the scripture say? Resist the devil and he will flee. Do you know what that means? When that temptation comes, when that fear arises out of nowhere, you say, Satan, hit the road. I belong to Jesus Christ. You have no business here. Hit the road. Get out. A lot of times we don't. We listen and he, he bugs us. You know what a lot of little children care or love about the game of hide and seek I don't think it's the hiding so much as it is the being found. My kids and grandsons were small if we played this game. If you couldn't find them, and sometimes I wouldn't, I'd act like I couldn't find them. They'd make a noise or they, they wanted you to find them. That's just, that's just the way that it is. I wonder if we're not like that. In all honesty, this morning we have to admit, admit that we live in a dark and sinful world. And we get plain scared sometimes. Fears almost overwhelm us, and we have that same yearning as a little child wanting to be found. We want to be assured that God knows where we are and that he will come and lift us up in his arms. We all perhaps have our own concept of what we think God's like. And we know what Jesus is like, God with skin on. He came to show us exactly what the Father is like. 
But I wonder sometimes, even as adults, if you just wished that you had a warm lap to climb up on. Now, we have to understand this morning that we see God in in two different ways. God sees us as his children, and he looks on us different than he does those that are lost and are not his children. He still loves them, but he treats us a, a lot different. I like to picture my heavenly father as when I mess up, when I'm sad, when I'm scared, he said, come on, Eddie. I walk up, and he picks me up, and he sets me on his lap. If I need cleaned up, he cleans the mud off. He allows me to confess whatever's going on in my life because he already knows. And then he reaches down, and he kisses me on the head and puts me down and sends me off and says, try to do better next time. When I stand before Jesus Christ at the Bema seat, at the judgment seat of Christ, I will be judged as you will, as how you lived as a believer. The tragedy is that those who die without Christ, you read it in the Revelation, it's the great white throne judgment is, is not a, a pretty sight. Because people who have rejected Christ, God won't say, come sit on my lap. He'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And you're cast into a burning hell. People don't like to hear those words. We don't want to talk about it. But you can't have one without the other. You have to talk about it. That's the urgency in us to reach out to those that we know that are lost to share the love of Christ with them. We want to be assured that God knows exactly where we are and that he will come and lift us up in his arms and calm our fears like he calmed the waters. Isaiah 49, 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even those, even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. What a comforting thought. What security that we can glean from that. The God Almighty, the King and Maker of all that is, has our names inscribed in his palm. The dragon of fear breathes fire on all of us. I think if we're all honest this morning that we could all say that we have a pet fear. We need to zero in on that and start by admitting that fear and identify it and openly call it by name and then commit that fear to Christ. The Lord awaits this, so give it to him. I think through very carefully what, <laughs> what we've done and, what we, and we continue to do that to bring victory in our lives. Our faith in Christ is the key to our survival, especially our fear, spiritual survival. You know, Psalm 27 does that. Get a chance to read that this week and in next week's text is Hebrews 11, 1 through 7 and you need to read that. It's my prayer this morning that 
we are all where we need to be with Christ. I don't know about you, but I went to church quite a few years. I wasn't where I needed to be. (laughs) That's why I'd be up at that altar. But the crazy part about it, I'd pick that back up and leave with it and live with it all week and then bring it back and, and put it there again. I think sometimes we do that. But my concern this morning, my hope is that we're all where we need to be. And if there's sin in your life that you confess that, if there's fear that you've struggled with, but after listening to what David did, that we do that now, today. And if you need Christ and you've never accepted him, we'd sure like to show you how. That's why we're here. You know, we talk about why we exist. We exist to make disciples and teach them. And discipleship starts with our giving our heart to Christ and coming that way. So that's my prayer this morning. Lord, I love these people. There's a lot of people that will hear this that I miss tremendously and I understand. But I pray, God, as we continue on, that our faith continues to increase and grow stronger, even in the midst of what we've been involved with here the last year or so. So right now, Lord, I... I pray for those that have admitted their fear, then they realize that they need to do something with it, that we might do that now. Lord, if people need prayed with, I'd sure be glad to pray with them, or they need you in any way. Or that's the, the beauty of being in you, Lord, that we can pray right where we sit. But the question is, and the urgency is that we pray, that we don't just blow it off and Leave like we come in. So right now, that's my prayer for all of us here, that we're listening to you, Holy Spirit, as you knock on our heart's door, that we respond. We love you, God. We give you praise and glory, and you just amaze us with your love and your blessings. We do ask all these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen.